This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, your child's next visit to the doctor's office may look very different, as the American Academy of Pediatrics just released new screening recommendations, encouraging a more preventive testing in children. Everything from HIV to cholesterol. And here to fill us in on these and their significance is Dr. Elizabeth Nelson, Assistant Professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University and the Associate Program Director of the Pediatric Residency Program for Upstate's Golisano Children's Hospital. Welcome, Dr. Nelson. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. So the American Academy of Pediatrics has some new recommendations. First, why now, and what's the significance of these? So recommendations are published about once a year. Uh, the uh, periodicity schedule, which is the schedule that's delivered to pediatricians from the American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP, it's put out about once a year just to update pediatricians on the things that they should be doing in their offices for each checkup. So that's an annual annual thing that takes place all the time? Uh, roughly on an annual basis. But why now are these being focused on? Are they... Are any of these more crucial than any others? Have there been changes that have great significance? So indeed, some of the um, uh, some of the recommendations have increasing significance. For example, we're going to get to the cholesterol screening and also the HIV screening. We have more evidence that these are becoming bigger and bigger issues in our um, country, and these are things that we need to pay better attention to. So it's good for us pediatricians to pay attention to them in our offices. How are these developed, though? In other words. You mentioned, you alluded to the fact that it's becoming more of an issue in our country. Mm. So are these in response to uh, what we see the general population of children and adolescents facing? So they're based on a lot of evidence. Um, these are recommendations that are developed based on what we have available in the current evidence from research, also available from statistics through statistical analysis from the CDC and other governmental um, governmental uh, agencies. agencies. Yes. And... Uh, there's an expert panel that collates all of this uh, data, decides what should be important, and uh, puts forth the recommendations. I guess the one question I would have as a layperson and also as a, a parent who do, I don't have young children anymore, but I certainly can remember going to the pediatrician's office quite regularly. Mm -hmm. How is it possible for the pediatrician to add on to an already very full plate when a child comes in for, a, let's say, a standard annual physical? Mm -hmm. How can they manage to add all of these things on? Well, it's very difficult. Um, for us pediatricians, when we see ch kids for the regular checkups, there are a number of things that we have to look at. We have to look at their growth. We have to look at their hearing and their vision. We have to assess what their diet and what their intake is like, make sure that they're developing normally, that they're progressing through the developmental milestones stones that they're doing okay in school, addressing any other issues, and especially with teenagers, those visits tend to take longer because of all, of all the risk assessment that we have to do. Adding on more and more things to do during a visit could lengthen the visit, and actually if we were to implement everything that the AAP recommended, a 30-minute well-child visit would take easily over an hour. So is it, the, is it left to the discretion of the individual physician to make a choice? Yes. And then how frequently? Well, we'll talk specifically what the recommendations are for yes. each of these preventive screenings. But The art of medicine comes when the pediatrician practices and decides what they need to do for each family. Sometimes that could be everything on the list if the number of red flags are raised during a visit. But for most families, uh, there may be only one or two things that a pediatrician needs to address at the well-child visit, and then with frequent follow-up and close 
monitoring of problems, the pediatrician can continue to follow up on those visits as time goes by. So these are really kind of, this is almost an armamentarium for the pediatrician in terms of the things they can turn to to use, tools they can use and recommendations and suggested things they can use to make sure they've covered all their bases. Absolutely. So let's go and review each one of these and the rationale for each one, if if you don't mind. So let's talk about cholesterol first. For example, I read somewhere that children ages 9 to 11 should be screened for high blood cholesterol levels. Now, why? So uh, this is in direct response to the increasing obesity problem here in the United States. About 12.7 million children here in the U.S. are defined as being obese, and that's having a BMI greater than the 95th percentile for their age. BMI is body mass Body mass index, index. yes. And... Um, This is becoming increasingly problematic. We know that obesity is a risk factor for heart disease and that kids that are obese tend to be at higher risk for developing things like high cholesterol, which has a direct impact on on them developing heart disease. So the theory being that if you find it early, you can do what? We can manage it. And management in kids is almost always going to be with diet and lifestyle changes. It's the rare child that would actually need to take a medication like a statin to correct their high cholesterol level. And is that mostly in the cases where you would take a statin is if you have a familial history or something where it's really very high and, as you said, other members of the family? Yes. the, The treatment algorithms do take into account what the family history and the lifestyle is like. Okay. So basically, the whole concept here is it's never too early to intervene right. if you start to see that path toward either ob- obesity or, in this case, very high cholesterol Absolutely. levels. Absolutely. It's crucial to intervene as early as possible. So the next one is called is about congenital heart disease. Mm-hmm. So um, I was kind of shocked because I was this whole idea of using pulse oximetry, which is something they put on the chest of the baby. It's something they put on either the toe of the baby or on the hand. And in most hospitals, they do both. Uh, And that is to locate um, any sort of critical heart condition that would require an operation. This is something that we've actually been doing here in the Syracuse area since about 2010 in all of the hospitals, St. Joseph's community and here um, and at Krauss. And it's just as simple as putting a little sticky... um, uh, sticker on the finger or on the, and also on the toe of the baby and to see what the pulse oximetry is like. If it's below a certain level, uh, cardiology gets involved and uh, is further evaluated. So that's for all children, all, all newborns? All newborns. Regardless of anything to do with the risk factors? Yes, and that's from uh, New York State. Those guidelines, the New York State recommendations predated what the AAP has put out. Okay, that's nice to know, yes. actually. Um, and what about anemia? So anemia screening is crucial, especially for the population that I take care of. Um, Which is what? So I work at um, University Pediatric and Adolescent Center, and we take care of a primarily urban, lower socioeconomic status um, group of patients and group of families. We take care of the kids that live in the poorest zip codes here in Syracuse. And they often don't have uh, very good access to high-quality, nutritious foods. And sometimes these foods don't contain a lot of iron, which helps you to prevent Uh, becoming anemic. And uh, we often see kids usually starting between ages one and two, which is when we start doing anemia screening. Kids that need either iron replacement therapy or we need to encourage parents to look for high uh, iron-containing foods for their children. So what happens if they're low in iron and what happens if they have Anemia. So if they're low in iron and and um, are anemic, then um, it can actually impact the way that a child um, develops. It can have um, an impact on their developmental level, how they do in school. 
Um, and it, that has obviously, if they're not doing law in school, that has um, significant long reaching long effects. Long term effects, yeah. of course. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on Air. I'm Linda Cohen along with pediatrician Dr. Elizabeth Nelson. We're talking about the new American Academy of Pediatrics screening recommendations for prevention. So what about teeth? Why this new effort to look at people's kids' teeth? Yeah, this is something that's also been in the works for some time. Um, as we know, fluoride um, has a direct impact on how teeth develop and also on cavity prevention. Kids that have dental caries, um, have dental abscesses because of poor dentition, often also have poor nutrition. It can also be a marker for poor access to care. So something that the Academy is now recommending is application of fluoride varnish um, at well child visits and also the use of fluoridated toothpaste, which is about a year old recommendation. So if you live in an area where fluoride is not part of your, your water mm, stream, mm -hmm. this is obviously more important. Is yes. it equally important though if fluoride is in your water? Absolutely. Um, kids that don't have good access to care may also not have good access to dentists. So they are not getting the appropriate every six month checkups. They're not getting fluoride applied to the dentist's office. The only place the parent may be able to come for whatever reason is to our office. So if we can provide that service in our office, that's one more method of prevention that we have. So you put some kind of a little fluoride. Yep, it's a tiny little toothbrush. It's a, um, a small paste that's applied to a dry tooth. It's very easy to um, apply and manage. There's some directions that we send the parents home with as far as brushing teeth and eating and drinking afterwards. And how frequently does that need to be done? Um, at, so the AEP recommends at least once a year. Uh, you can actually, depending on what your insurance coverage is like, apply it up to four times a year. And just briefly about teeth, isn't your mouth really kind of a reflection of your overall health? It so, absolutely is. So if, in fact, you're having dentition issues, not only is it reflective, but can it also be a gateway to problems health-wise? Yes. So what about now the big bugaboo in the room is HIV testing. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. Why are we testing kids? So for HIV screening, it's becoming more and more important because we now recognize that in kids that are aged 13 to 24, one in four new diagnoses wow. all overall of HIV is happening in this age group. It's crucial to screen these children. We have so many new treatments and therapies that are available for kids and for adolescents that to not do this testing would be a disservice. And is it presumably through sexual activity that, that most of these kids are being exposed? Yes. Uh, through sexual activity, but also because of increasing rates of heroin use. Oh, among, so it's through drug and, use as well. Yes, and, and that goes along with all of the other um, sexually transmitted diseases, hepatitis C, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. But HIV is something that 20, 30 years ago we could do very little about, but now have a much uh, more powerful armamentarium of medications and treatments available to these So this patients. is a simple blood draw, and then you yes. do HIV testing, and then it's determined and recommendations are made to treat or not to treat. Correct, on correct. Um, screening is done, then patients are often referred, once the, the patient screens positive for HIV, they are often referred to an infectious disease specialist for further management. And obviously, I think the big push these days is to, is to control the rate of new infections. So mm. if you start to treat children when they're young, if they're carrying the, the virus, then clearly they'll be less apt to spread it. Yes. So there's all kinds of there's all kinds of preventive reasons. measures. And actually, since 2010 in New York State, uh, there's been a requirement to offer an HIV test to everyone 13 to 64 um, at least once during a uh, their visit to the doctor or visit to the hospital. Now depression. Clearly, mm -hmm. that's been a very big concern. Yes. Much less, I would think, with the very young children, but much more so with when they hit the teen years. So mm -hmm. very quickly, 
they do some kind of a screening, a, a questionnaire? What is it? There's a, a few different ways to do this. We know that suicides are the leading risk of, or the leading cause of adolescent death. Um, there are a number of questionnaires that we can use. Um, one common one that's quick to use in the office is something called a PHQ, not, uh, PHQ-2, I'm sorry, a Patient Health Questionnaire 2. Two questions, get you a quick screen, and then you can further determine if the child needs treatment after that. My question for this one and the next one we're going to talk about briefly is drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about drugs and alcohol, and then I have a question for both sure. in terms of how you assess these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So there's this thing called the CRAFT yes. questionnaire. Tell me about that. So it just assesses certain um, points of risk for a kid. If they're getting into a car with somebody that's high or, has, uh, or if they themselves have used drugs or alcohol, if they've used these things while they've been by themselves, if they have ever been told to stop using them if they use them to relax. Um, those are all points of risk that can indicate that a child or an adolescent is having problems. I don't want to run out of time. Basically, the question I would have for both the depression screening and the drugs and alcohol, do you think you're getting potentially valid credible responses from kids in that setting is the question. Yes, I think so. If we have developed a good relationship with the adolescent and with their family, we're interviewing the adolescent alone, giving them that private space to answer questions, then hopefully they can open up to us and be honest so we can get them the help that they need. That's really helpful and, yeah. and very important. Thank you so very much oh, for coming for in. Me. This is very, very important. And as you said, the hope would be that each individual physician has to make a choice as to what to do when. Yes. But the notion that you have all these tools and these things to be looking out mm -hmm. for will be protective of our kids. Indeed. Thanks so much. My guest has been Dr. Elizabeth Nelson, assistant professor in the Department of Pediatrics at Upstate Medical University and the associate program director for the Pediatric Residency Program for Upstate's Golisano Children's Hospital. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.